CHP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode. Hello, you golfing legends, and welcome back for another episode of the original Off Course. I'm your host, Dan Edwards, and joining me this week, I feel like this is number three, maybe. Uh, either way, it's not enough. It's Mr. Chris Voshal of Mizuno Golf fame. It's great to have you on, Vosh. It's great to be here. It's been, it has been a little bit. I think last time we did this, I was sitting on my couch in the basement. That was a little bit more a uh, little bit more relaxed than the office atmosphere, but it's good to be back with you. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I was on a call with you not too long ago. And we can't say too many things about it, but there are a couple things I saw that we now can talk about, which likely is the purpose of this, uh, this gathering of minds here. Either way, we, everyone loves you on THP. We, we love getting updates from Vosh, especially when you come and uh, do damage to our emotions at THP events with your smooth, surprisingly limber swing. What, what's going on in the life of you? Are you doing well? Things are going great in my life. Um, I got a little boy who just turned two, which is exciting. So that's kind of fun. I'm looking for the right chance to get him out on the course now. And I got another, I got a little girl on the way too. So early January, unfortunately, I'm going to miss the PGA show, but you know, I'm going to have, going to have bigger things going on at the time, but that's what's going on life-wise. Uh, but trying to get my game in shape, you know, I, I, to be honest, I struggled this summer. I didn't play very well. And then just recently, I feel like something's kind of clicked and I've kind of got it going a little bit more than I have. Um, doing a little experimenting with uh, the clubs in my bag, uh, driver length. I actually like this past weekend, I built up a 45 and three quarter inch driver. I've always played sub 45 and I'm kind of liking it. So I'm, I'm having fun playing around with things. So uh, it, it, things are going well with me. Uh, you know what THPers love and people listen love is when the guys from the industry openly admit to being just like us. We're tinkerers. <laughs> uh, the only difference being, of course, that you have full access to whatever you want, which which probably makes... Is it hard for you to play for any length of time the same setup in a bag? Well, it's funny. So when I first started with Mizuno, I was a big-time tinkerer. Like, every round, it was something new and something different in the bag, which was, which was a lot of fun. You know, as a golf nerd, like, it was a great thing to be able to do but i never got comfortable with anything so about it's probably been about 10 years now i kind of told myself you're not going to do that anymore you're not going to mess around you're going to have a purpose for every change and really look at what you're doing so to be honest like my bag doesn't change that much now uh, i've been playing the same iron shaft for a really long time been playing the same wood shaft for a long time i can't as silly as it's going to sound here, this, this, this'll, this'll be a fun one. Since I'm in the office, I can do this. I'm going to scoot back for a second. Been playing the same grip for a long time. Like, <laughs> so, so Vosh has grabbed a whole box full of golf pride grips. That, yeah. I, I got an entire like case <laughs> of grips. So um, it's one that it's like an old white tour velvet cord that they don't even make anymore. So I got a billion of them and, I've gotten to the point where I don't tweak too much and don't tinker too much, but the the driver length thing is something that I've always found a little bit interesting. You know, I, I drive the ball pretty straight. I'd say that's if if there's a good strong part of my game, I do hit it pretty pretty decently long and straight. But 
I could be longer. Anyone could be longer. So I wanted to see like, if I give up, call it 5% of my accuracy, but I gain 10 yards, what does that do for my game? Okay. So it's an experiment I hadn't actually like done, but I played my last couple rounds with a significantly longer shaft, longer driver, and I've scored really well. You know, I've, I've hit irons into par fives that I was traditionally laying up on or hitting a, a wood into. So it's it's definitely an interesting uh, experiment that I like that I like doing. Okay, so let let me see if memory serves correctly because we did play a little bit of golf together. Was been about almost two years now. Yep. Um, I, I feel like you had a Ventus black stiff tipped an inch. Tipped an inch and a half. That's inch exactly half. right. Damn it! You're exactly so right. Yeah. Oh, so it's, okay, so and, that's and, the golf nerd coming out. I, I don't even know what you look like back then, but I knew what you were playing in your <laughs> you're, But No, you're exactly right. And, and you know, it's funny. Even if you look at my, if you look at my swing and my numbers and stuff, I shouldn't be a Ventus black tipped guy. You know, I, my swing speed isn't that fast and I, I don't spin it very much. And that combination is very much a, super low spin hard swingers combination but i played it for its accuracy like you know i i know exactly where that ball's going i know the miss is only going to be to the right the miss is not going to be to the left because it's it's a little bit too stout for what i should be playing but i've gotten very consistent with it and i like it a lot so that's where like the experiment of going longer now all of a sudden it's like okay, well, that's going to make the shaft play weaker. So if the shaft plays weaker, do I need to tip it more? If I'm going to tip it more, then do I need to be, literally, I'm already tipping an inch and a half. Like, do, where do I need to go with that? So one of the benefits of being in the industry is when I built shafts at that length, I didn't build one. I built a couple of them. So <laughs> I, and, and, you know, in general, they're not the cheapest shafts in the, on the, in the, on the planet, but I built up a couple of them and experimented with a couple. So um, I've, I've found a combination that's been pretty good. Do you want to go on a bit of an unexpected tangent real quick with what yeah, you just said? Absolutely. Okay. So we're having a, a pretty interesting conversation this week on THP. And actually I'm going down to dormant club to hang out with our friends from project X. Oh, um, nice. and one of the things we're doing is a, is a chef fitting. And there's been this idea being toyed around by the big brass saying, should we take all the chefs there? blank like in not mm. not labeled and mm. and i'm gonna ask you two questions because i think it, it relates to you in, in multiple ways both as a golfer and uh from a manufacturer I, I know there's a there's an undesirable inclination for every golfer to look down at something and say i like this or i dislike that um and with so many options in your lineup from an iron perspective i've always said play is as forgiving as you can stand to look at that's yep. always been my perspective yep. so twofold for you on this question wouldn't you love it if you could just block the iron head from people before they swing and secondary to that do you love the idea of a blind shaft test to get purely paired with uh, the right setup blind tests are the best tests in in every way you know it it takes away any bias that you have going into it. Anything you might do swing wise subconsciously, like I'll, I'll tell the story of this is going back to when we made the MP 600 driver. And I know I'm going to go on like a really random tangent with it, but you know, when we're doing a driver test, 
you know, you see where the ball's going, you get to understand what's happening, everything. And, and this was this, if you remember the 600, it was like the, our first sliding track driver. We had toe weight, heel weight, whatever, right around the same time as the R7 driver and stuff. So like left, right bias and shot correction and shot shaping with weighting was a really popular thing we were looking at. And I had done a, a bunch of different tests and just subconsciously, it's like wherever the ball goes, your next swing almost so somewhat corrects for that. But we tested this driver on the foggiest day I think I've ever hit balls ever to where I could not see what the ball was doing 30 feet off the club face. And it was the most honest test I think we've ever done. Every player, the results were exactly as the results would have been theoretically, like where that waiting, what that waiting should have done is what it did. And it was a really fascinating thing because it just shows that if you can do blind tests, you get true data, but it's really hard to do a blind test because you're right. I mean, if shaft aesthetics, club aesthetics, top line thickness, sole width, all these things play into a golfer's subconscious that make you do something. And if you can remove all those, I think you get the truest, you know, truest level of performance of what does it do with your swing, with your unbiased swing. So uh, if you could pull off the everything painted black or everything, whatever, I love that idea. Because I think you'll get some very interesting fittings and some things that you didn't expect to get. So I, I had a feeling you're going to go that direction. And, and it makes a lot of sense because, you know, if, if you put. I'll give you an, an iron shaft example. If you put uh, X sevens in mm -hmm. anyone's hands, uh, you know, T one or uh, X 100, X seven, whatever, something that's unbelievably stout and they know it is based on what they've heard. They're never going to put a smooth swing on it. Right. So right. it's, it's ultimately going to be a problem. Uh, my dad will kill me when he hears this, but there's a point where swinging neutral in most cases allows you to perform at your highest benefit but when you read something on a shaft and then you try and put a swing on it that you know mm -hmm. sort of overpowers it or underpowers it or whatever it might be you create these weird sort of nuances in in expectations for yourself but also don't create the best possible uh, outcome which right. i guess would be the biggest challenge i'm going to redirect that a little bit because i think it does apply to one of our conversations today and something i've seen mizuno do a lot of um from their design standpoints, there is something you're doing with the top line of irons and wedges. I feel like where you're, you're allowing the width of the iron to exist all the way, all, all the way up till about maybe let's say 90% of the way. And mm -hmm. you sort of angled that top line mm -hmm. to be a little bit more uniform with each other. It, it's something I really appreciated on your, was it the ES 21 that, that was yep. really significant uh, looking down and I was like, man, this is going to look like a, a frying pan in reality. You had that beautiful carve out. So it, it looked more natural to me. Um, and there's a new set of wedges out called the T24 is go over to right. the uh, THP's homepage to read James's article on that. Uh, don't pause, keep listening, but do it while you're <laughs> fine. Uh, but anyways, I, I see it continuing. Um, yeah. So I, I have two questions that I know it's super loaded and you can go in whatever direction you want. Is this design element in part to allow you to bring more weight upwards without making concessions to the thickness of a top line 
And, and secondary to that, how cognizant of golfers inability to overlook things like a thicker top line forces yeah. you to make that sort of design uh, element. Yeah. So there's, I'll, I'll answer that in a couple different ways. So <laughs> the first, first thing I'll say is that, you know, if you historically look back at Mizuno clubs, we traditionally aren't the thinnest out there. You know, I know we, we have the reputation of making absolutely beautiful irons shapes are where they need to be. Like the transitions are really nice and, and like flowing and organic looking, but we've tended to be a little bit on the thicker top line side. The reason for that isn't exactly what you're going to expect to hear, but the reason for that is honestly, it's due to feel. And I know we do a lot and, you know, we're known for our feel of our golf clubs and a lot of the analysis and studies that we've done around feel revolve around which parts of the heads are reinforced and which parts are not reinforced and how those reinforced areas dictate not only a vibration frequency, but a vibration volume. And all of those things are going to ultimately lead to what you feel as a golfer. So I'll use a muscle back blade for an example, and then I'll work my way down to a wedge from there. Like on a muscle back, if you were to look at like a, even some of the, the those that are known as classics, the, the uh, MP14s, MP29s, MP33s, uh, MP68s, a lot of these muscle backs, they are a little bit thicker top lined than the Titleist blade at the time or the Callaway blade at the time or the TaylorMade blade at the time. That being said, we always get the nod for feel. And a lot of that is because the reinforcement of a top line, like if you think of a golf club, where's the thinnest part of a blade? It's the top line. You know, the, the sole itself is naturally reinforced. The hosel is a big thick chunk of meat. Everywhere is reinforced except for that thinnest point on the top line. So when you thin out that top line, what happens is when the club vibrates, that unreinforced area is going to vibrate at a larger amplitude, like a lot, it's got more vibration than the lower part that's more reinforced. So when you get that larger amplitude, the, the volume goes up, the sound goes up, and the frequency it vibrates at goes down. A low frequency at a high volume is a bad sound. For a muscle back, like to sound super solid, you want it to have a lower frequency at a lower volume or a higher frequency at a lower volume because that's a reinforced shape. So all that to say, we want to keep the mass there in the top line to give you that stability, to give you that feel. Because while we still have grain flow forging, we have the 1025 material, we have the copper underlay, geometry still plays a big role in how a golf club feels. So you have to reinforce strategic areas. All that to say, the visual and the aesthetics that address are important to a lot of players. And when you're talking about muscle backs, when you're talking about wedges, if you deliver just a super fat top line, think about if your blade was as fat on the top line as it was on the sole, a better player would be like, this looks like a chunk of whatever. I don't want to hit this. But even though it might feel even better than normal muscle back. So we do play that game by thickening the top area but then delivering a look with an aggressive bevel that doesn't affect the, the vibration duration or vibration frequency or vibration volume, but it affects the aesthetics. So when you look down, you know, we will put things when we're designing in the CAD world in what we call the address view or the silhouette view, whereas from the address position with the given loft and a certain shaft lean that players tend to have, 
we'll know how much of that top line you'll be able to see and where that angle bevel needs to go so that you don't see that thickness up there. So we definitely do that on the muscle back side. We do that a lot on the wedge side as well, because on the wedge side, if you're wanting to increase spin, spin comes from a low impact below the sweet spot. So if you're impacting below the sweet spot, then you get gear effects that add spin to the golf ball. So when you bring the sweet spot up by putting more mass up high, all of a sudden it's spinning more. So you're right, on wedges, you are moving mass to affect the playability and the mass properties of that golf club. On a muscle back, we do the same thing on the stronger iron, or sorry, on the weaker irons, like the, the scoring irons, the eight iron, nine iron pitching wedge. You want those to spin a little bit more, so you want that mass a little bit higher, so the blade tapers out a little bit, and then you aggressively bevel it across the top. When you get to a longer iron, it's tougher to play that game because you, while you want more spin, you have less loft, so that silhouette's not hiding as much. So you can't bevel it quite as much. So you have to play the game a little bit tighter on the long irons. But there's a whole lot of moving parts in the club engineering side. But what we're trying to do is give you the look at address that you want, but the spin characteristics that you need. So when it comes to sound specifically, we, we always joke around, especially on putters, like what is five grams? What does that really mean? And it's, mm -hmm. you know, you do the whole penny test or the, the uh, nickel test. It's like, okay, it's, yeah. it's really not that much. But if I gave you a nickel's worth of weight, on the toe side of a of an iron you could make them sound wildly different right mm -hmm. yeah and, absolutely and and a lot of it even depends on the type of iron you're talking about too like you know if you have if you have an extra five grams on a muscle back versus an extra five grams on called a jpx hot metal you can do drastically different things sound wise with those because i'll say that muscle back again i talk about like parts being reinforced for the most part, the club is reinforced because there's no ultra thin areas. So adding five grams across a large areas is increasing a thickness by fractions of a millimeter. However, on a hot metal iron, for example, where the even though the head weight is the same, the head is larger and there's thinned out areas that are more optimized. If I have an extra five grams, I could use that to make two different ribs in two different places that weren't reinforced before, but are reinforced now. So that extra little bit of weight, it matters more depending on where you're applying it. You know, woods are the perfect example of, you talk about a driver, which is the lightest club. So you have the less than, least amount of weight to play with, but also the thinnest club. So it's the one that needs the most reinforcement. It needs the most going on to make it sound solid. Like that's why you could never make a driver sound like a muscle back because of that, like because it's so thinned out and there's so little weight to play with. So, you know, give me five grams on a driver, you can really change the sound. Give me five grams on a hot metal, you can affect it pretty much. Give me five grams on a muscle back, sound's not going to change too much. So the one thing I've asked and, and I've wondered over the last two years playing the 221s and 225s, and first mm. of all, I'm really... Nice Here's my deal, okay? I am extremely satisfied that I I went all the way to the seven with the two two ones. I think it's a spectacular iron. Mm -hmm. I got them a little strong lofted because that's uh, my dynamic loft. It relies on that a little bit. Um, I, I was blown away at the ability to pair them up together, uh, and yep. and not just Vosh from a distance standpoint. Although I'll admit the six in the two two five is unbelievably easy to hit from yeah. my perspective at that size. Uh, but the one thing that I've always been very, 
very worried about when I combo irons is creating a different sound. If one of them is going to sound notably better than the other, I will lean on that one more than the other when the time comes, when I need to hit a shot, when I want a certain result, right? So my my question to that is, and and it's a very selfish question, forget anyone else wanted to listen anyway, it's fine. But there has to be some secret sauce going on being able to create sound profiles between 221, 223, and 225 that they're not wildly different despite their construction being notably different, right? Yeah, you're dead on on that. And and because between those three sets and some future ones that you'll see coming up that do an even better job of that, you'll see not only will you see construction change, you'll see like a one-piece screen flow forge muscle back, you know, the, the, the 221 or the 241 that you'll start to see in the future. And then, you know, the, the shallow cavity version of that, you switch over to a chromoly material, which then has a milled pocket cavity. And within that, you know, you're starting to thin out certain areas and you, know, you have the cavity. So it's not as reinforced behind the face. And then to the 225, where it's a, it's a forged face and neck out of a chromoly material with a stainless back piece and tungsten embedded within it as well. You're talking about not only different shapes, you're talking different sizes, you're talking different materials, talking different construction processes. So you have to understand all the different levers that you can pull when you're talking about things that affect sound. You know, as, as a forged iron company, something that we do you know, a ton of and something that we're probably most known for, it's so easy to lean in and say, oh, if you don't forge it, you're not doing anything. Like, you know, it's, it's all about the forging and give credit to the forging. Forging is just one thing in it. Like to me, when I talk about sound, the, the, there's three key pillars to sound. There's material, there's process, and there's geometry. Material being, are you using something harder or softer? Uh, process, are you forging or casting? And, and on top of that, you know, are you, uh, you know, welding stuff to a forging or welding stuff to a casting? Or, or what are you doing like in the post-processing side? And then the geometry side is the part that I think it's overlooked the most or not given enough credit, I should say, because there's a lot of golf clubs that like say forged on them. Like the word forge has been just butchered in the industry lately because you'll you'll forge one piece that has nothing to do with the feel. And then all of a sudden people think, oh, well, this needs to feel one way or another and just ignore that you have to get the geometry right as well to get the frequencies to vibrate right to get the frequencies at the right volumes as well so if you aren't playing in all three of those categories and aren't considering like how you're affecting each of those categories the feel's not going to quite be there like you're not going to get everything you're expecting to get so when you're playing in a world of combo sets with three different constructions three different materials you have to look at all those different levers and in some cases, it means taking a golf club like the 225, for example, that you have, which is a higher COR golf club, and actually almost downplaying the distance feel part of it. And what I mean by that is like, you know, when a club is hot, you kind of want it to feel hot. So the player not only sees it go a long way, but knows it goes a long way. But if you're then comboing it with a muscle back that's doing the opposite, then it makes it tough to put those together. So it's a tightrope you're walking, trying to get the feel right to transition between them. So you know you got a little bit more out of it, but you still get that solidness to it. And that's where the the Mizuno Pro, the 2-2 series did a phenomenal job. The 2-4 series that you're going to see coming up, uh, 
it's kind of it's on the USGA RNA list right now. You're going to really start to hear more about it in October. Really start to get more out, get more of them available in early in uh, early part of the year. Those we really did. I mean, I'd say better than anyone in the world's ever done in terms of comboing sets that do drastically different things, but can be put together to make one like beautiful set. So a long answer to your question to say you you have to play in a lot of different fields. You have to understand every little bit of what makes a club feel the way it does. I love it. I, I feel like uh, good questions get long answers. So that was clearly a question <laughs> worth asking. <laughs> and I also got a two, four drop. I, what is this? I, you're sneaking some info in on us. Yeah, pro- I, I don't know if I'm breaking embargo, but I guess if there's one person who can do it, it's quasi me. Um, <laughs> I, like, uh, there will be some some new Mizuno pros in the spring, so uh, we're very excited about them. Uh, if you start to start to just kind of study our naming, I think it's not nothing earth shattering in terms of what they're going to be called. But so yeah, in the spring of 24, you might see some 24 stuff coming out. I like the idea that we all have to play very, very stupid when it comes to, uh, oh, it's a two-year release cycle. But right. I don't know. I don't know if they're releasing Irons. It makes an <laughs> exactly. awful lot of sense. But uh, yeah, I, I'm super excited. I, I think um, the the comboing thing is is a lot less scary now than it was ten years ago mm-hmm. throughout the industry. But I'm, I was excited to actually experience it for myself because. There was a time when I would only combo at the four, and I did mm-hmm. that because my four iron was designed purely for an off the tee, yeah. two hundred and let's say twenty or thirty yard, absolutely trustworthy shot. Yeah, you're looking nice, something different from that club. Well, a nice example of that would have been the uh, the Hot Metal Pro from uh, that was probably nine two one at the time. Yep. Um, where it had the chromoly built in, and it was doing really beautiful things from a sound perspective. I remember sitting in Atlanta, hitting it at, at a, uh, a video camera. If you remember that, I do uh, remember that <laughs> kind of losing my mind over the sound. So yeah, you know, sound progression has been a really interesting thing. And, and I know we've been on a lot of tangents and we haven't really hit on the wedges, so we'll get there. But I have one final question, which I guess technically pairs into it when it comes to Mizuno as a whole. And what I really like to know is why has grain flow forged become such a staple in your process and why is it, so purely Mizuno when you hear the term. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it, it is a patented process that, that we own. And I, what I love to talk about is when a player hits a forged golf club, when they see forged on the club or see forged in the name, you know, there, there's an expectation of that forging. Like they, they expect it to be very consistent from piece to piece. You know, not like have like hot spots and stuff like that, you know, where you'll get one the ball that goes 20 yards further than another. There's a level of consistency built into that. But the biggest thing is the sound and feel they expect from it. And again, I talked about a number of reasons, number of things that play into sound and feel. And when you forge a golf club, you expect a good sound and feel. When you grain flow forge a golf club, it's almost like a guarantee that it's in there. And the difference is, but the grain flow forging process involves the stretching and bending of the billet prior to the forging. That stretching and bending is to elongate the grains to make them as long as possible, to make the club vibrate for as long as possible. And the reason that's important is because that gives you the feedback that you're looking for that you expect from a forging. So if you see a forged golf club where just the 
just the back pieces forged, the neck's not the faces, and it's a miraging steel face on a forged back piece or whatever, you're not going to get long continuous vibration because the part of the club that you're hitting that you're compressing isn't forged is and the grains aren't there and it's been welded from there so once you weld you disrupt those grains also so when you see like just forged isn't forged anymore like the grain flow forging process and everything we do all of our forgings are grain flow forgings because we're ensuring that the grains are as long and continuous as possible so even going into our 225 it's a forged face and neck not just face because just forging the face isn't enough because you will need that that those grains to be even longer so that stretching and bending gives you the forging uh the the grain length goes all the way up the hosel so that's why you get that longer feel and you know people talk about it sound feels like the ball stays on the club longer with mizuno that's because it feels like your the club vibrates for longer and vibration is such a dirty word. Like, you know, people sometimes <laughs> they put vibration dampeners and all these things on their golf clubs. They put foam inside a hollow club to kill some vibrations. We do none of that because vibration is good if you engineer the vibration at the right frequency. That's a big if because a lot of people don't. And then you can almost put a Band-Aid on it by killing, killing the bad frequency vibrations but when you kill one vibration, you kill all vibrations. So it's like a vibration dampener doesn't just remove the bad feels, it removes all of the feels. So with us, grain flow forging is a staple to say, this club's gonna vibrate longer, it's gonna give you more feedback and it's gonna feel more solid. So I think there someone did a disservice a long time ago when they said that the all I can think about when I hear the term vibrations and in a negative way is, it's 39 degrees. I've got a, a muscle back in my hands from 180 <laughs> and I just thin the ever loving crap out of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and my hands are shaking. Uh, the, the nerve endings are gone. For some reason, that term just got destroyed at one point. Uh, well, what, and what you're feeling is. there, you're feeling the sh you're feeling just cold. Like you're not feeling that's not it's not the club's <laughs> fault. You hit that same shot in the in the warm weather and it does it's not it's not going to affect you nearly as much. Uh wash, so, it is always the club's fault. I don't care what you say as a manufacturer, it is always the club's fault. <laughs> that's kind of been my like running joke is like I used to be able to blame the clubs and now that for a while that's kind of my fault too. So it's like <laughs> I got I got nothing to blame. It's really a bad a bad bad oh. situation. Yeah, you're just stuck on that island by yourself and we I'm all see sorry. that so badly. Uh I we need to get into wedges cuz Okay. You have uh T24s. Let's be clear. I've loved this. I've enjoyed it very much. I'm hoping people are just eating this up. It's been a really interesting chat mm -hmm. so far, but T24 looks like a pretty exciting release. We've seen some different options. We've seen some really fun finishes in the in the last iteration. Uh, but when I look at T24, I see quite a bit of unique styling that's gone on. And and I, I welcome you to sort of intro it as we start to discuss the different uh, things that yeah. make it unique. You know, when we're talking a T-series wedge, it's all about like subtle refinements. You know, it's nothing that's going to be crazy different and crazy unique but it's a lot of just checking a lot of the boxes to make a beautiful well good performing wedge you know aesthetically and feel wise it's it's got a, just a phenomenal feel to it 
you know, that comes from the grain flow forging, that comes from the copper underlay, that comes from the 1025 material, that comes from, you know, the geometry uh, you know, engineered into the club. Um, so all those things are going to make sure it feels right. Look-wise, the subtle refinements that we've made is honestly, we've made it smaller. We've made it more compact. It's It amazes me, and this will be like, how do you do this without naming names? The, the wedge leader in the world, their wedges are pretty big. Like you, if you look at the size of the face of those wedges and compare it to, you know, a guy who says, I'll only play those wedges and then I'll only play muscle backs. Look at the size difference between your wedge and your nine iron. It's dramatic. Like they make big wedges. So that's great because a lot of people buy them, but a lot of people think they're buying, you know, small tour issue parts. And a lot of the tour players are playing smaller versions of those wedges. So when you look at our T24s, they are more compact. They are very small. They are very almost muscle back looking in terms of size. So it's a, maybe it's a little bit intimidating for some, but because they've got the loft there, like anyone could hit that size wedge. It's not like it's, you know, a high handicap can't play it, but they are on the smaller side of things. Small is good when you're talking about a club that's going through rough, dirt, sand, like all these different things. Like, <clears throat> excuse me, small and sleek is your friend because, you know, you've got a lot of mass. You've got that mass concentrated. You concentrate over a small area. You, your misses are never like super dramatic. It's not like a driver where you'll miss it two inches to the toe. You're not going to do that on a wedge. Like that doesn't happen. So the consistency is built in. And then to build in even further consistency, we do a lot of different things to that wedge, specifically on the face and on the grooves. So on the face, uh, we actually changed our scoring lines from the first time in a number of years where we've refined the way that the actual shoulders are shaped, where rather than being driven by an actual like radius value, it's driven by what's called a conic. And a conic shape in the 3D world gives you a little bit more control over the angles entering and exiting, which allows you to live really close within that um, within that groove rule tolerance in terms of how sharp can you get it. When you can eat into that, that tolerance a little bit further, that gives you the ability to all of a sudden your volume got a little bit smaller. When your volume gets smaller, the rule is written so that you get a certain volume over a certain span. If that volume got smaller, you can compress those wedges a little bit closer and you can actually get a couple more grooves on there. So the interesting thing when you look at them is the stronger lofted clubs, the gap wedges, uh, the pitching wedges, they actually have 17 grooves on the face, as opposed to the sand wedges and the lob wedges only have 15 grooves on the face. Sounds a little counterintuitive that the higher lofted have fewer, but if you think about the purpose of the groove for a different for a different uh, type of shot, I'll kind of explain why it makes more sense. You know, on a full shot, the goal of the groove is to just to get the debris out of the way. You know, the club is traditionally pretty square to impact. And the whole goal is just to remove that material, remove anything between the, the ball and the club face. When you get into a partial shot, when you get into a sand wedge and a lob wedge where the face gets wide open, the groove's purpose changes a little bit. Because if you, let's say you open a 60 degree wide open, you're trying to hit a flop shot that groove isn't going to be able to be moving as much uh, material out of the way. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to ensure that the shoulder of that groove gets the ability to bite. When you put the grooves too many and too close together, those shoulders are less exposed. If you get that groove a little bit wider, 
you expose that shoulder a little bit more. So on a glancing blow, you get a better odds of engaging a shoulder in that impact to get more spin. So as a result of that, you know, we have different groove profiles on the different wedges. So it's something that's really cool that's kind of built into the performance of them. But then again, I started this whole thing talking about consistency. For consistency also, we've got what we call our hydroflow microgrooves, where we actually laser mill underneath the plating, except for on the raw one where there is no plating, then it's just on the surface. But underneath the plating of the white of the soft white satin and of the denim copper to help channel moisture away as well. So on those flat areas, again, about moving moisture away. So just a whole bunch of different things built into that. And I didn't even talk about grinds yet. Like there's five grind options as well. We added a new V grind, which is something that a trend that we've seen a lot with a lot more bounce on the leading edge and then really aggressively beveled across the back to make it play less bouncy when you open it way up. So again, lots of different options there. We got you know every loft from 46 to 62, and you can get them all in a bunch of different, five different grinds, three different finishes, just a ton of different options there for a lot of playability. So one of the things that James has written here on his article, again, shout out to uh, the THB homepage for having this information to share as well. Um, I read something about a progressive teardrop look. Does that mean that does that mean that the 60 degree is going to look significantly different at address than let's say the 46? I wouldn't say it's significant, but there is a difference there. You know, it's if you look at our wedges and kind of how we've named them in the past, you know, we've had the T and the R or the T and the S is what we have right now. The T being teardrop, S being silhouette or kind of a more rounded shape. And we've always kind of kept the T's very T throughout like the, mm. the 60 degree all the way down to the 46 will have very much that teardrop shape where the S's and the R's were more round throughout. I say this one's a little bit more progressive in that when you get into the higher lofted, you do get a little bit more roundness. And the reason for that is because when you start opening up wedges, when you start getting into those higher lofted ones, again, if the lines are too straight, then it makes consistent contact a little bit more difficult you know you need a little bit more curvature across that front edge and then you know you can't just have that curvature on the front really straight top it would look like a goofy shape so you know you we have gotten a little bit more progressive in terms of how we shape them it's not dramatic it's not super noticeable but it's a look that's going to be more comfortable in a dress when you get into those higher lofted ones so when it comes to selecting uh different grooves uh sorry i don't mean <laughs> say grooves what are you doing here uh <laughs> the different soul types you have on there the yeah. grind options uh you got me a little tongue-tied here vosh tell me all these crazy things about mizuno today <laughs> is, is there is there information that comes from specific partners or collaborations let's say on tour let's say on amateur side who is one of your bigger determinants on uh on because i know it's hard to keep adding skews to the conversation you right. have to be able to stock them and you have to yep. you know deal with uh, the excess inventory if one doesn't hit so what's what's that like selecting your different grinds it's it's tricky for sure but there's definitely player profiles and tendencies that lean towards each one i'll just use a couple of our staff members like keith mitchell is a player who he needs like that v grind honestly we modeled it after a grind that he we had worked with him to put on his wedges he wants that little bit more bounce across the leading edge and then that really aggressive bevel across the back. That's something that he 
that's how he plays his short game. Luke Donald, on the other hand, one of the best wedge players on the planet, he uses bounce all the time, but he doesn't need that change in radius and like change in bounce as, as the wedge goes. So he's tended to play more of like our, either our, like our C grind or our X grind. It's a little bit less, I'd say dramatic in the terms of the change from the front to the back and a little bit less camber on it. So we work really heavily with our tour players to kind of see what are their trends and what they're looking for in, in their bag. We also work a lot with our fitting guys. Like I believe when you were in town, you met Bill Price, who's our director of custom fitting. Bill preaches. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Bill gets me choked up sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, um, you know, we have our tool, the shaft optimizer that measures a ton of different data parameters. You know, we, we do it traditionally in the fitting world with a seven iron, but we've done a lot of testing in terms of what, how that relates to how you deliver a club with a wedge. We've built up some wedges that you could hit with an optimizer, like internally, just so we can learn some things about how players are delivering the club to the ball. And Bill's been instrumental in that in terms of making sure that we're offering the right bounce combinations with the right grinds to lead towards, you know, those two things working in tandem. What you see a lot in the field, at least what I've kind of noticed, is a lot of wedges that have tons of different loft and bounce options that all play very very similar meaning like you'll see a lot of high bounce wedges that have a really aggressive grind and then the low bounce wedges have the less aggressive grind those lead to two soles that actually are starting to play closer together when you look at ours we actually have more separation between them where we tend to put the more aggressive grinds on the lower bounces to make the lower play even lower and less aggressive on the higher bounce to make the higher bounce play even higher or play or still maintain that bounce. So it's it's a tightrope to walk to make sure that you know you don't offer too many. Just because you're right, at some point you got to ask a retailer, hey, you got to bring in this many different wedges. But you know, in this line, we've got 17 different skews uh, times three different colors times right hand and left hand. So you know it gets to be a big number really quickly. So you have to be very, um, <clears throat> very selective in terms of what you offer and how you understand you know, buying percentages of those from the business side. So I'm, I'm going to tolerate the idea that there are currently three color options. I'm going to acknowledge the fact that we're, we're missing that gorgeous Mizuno blue. Uh, and I'm also going to mention that I'm, I'm surprised in the lineup we don't actually have a black finish. So... Hmm. Now, two questions for that. Number one, that's got to be terribly hard to decide which colors to go with. And number two, considering how popular black is as a finish right now, right. does that make it more challenging? And do you feel like you're taking a chance by not including it? Or is it you're so confident in the three finishes, especially with the denim copper being such a unique yeah. presentation that it's almost like they don't need black because they can have this cool finish instead? You know, when, when we are in the midst of development of these, I'll never forget the day we had literally, we had five sitting in front of us. You can get you, the three that you see, and then you can probably guess the other two that were sitting in front of us also. And right. it comes time to decide which, which are the ones you want to go with. Because again, I talked about 17 times three. That's a, that's a lot of different options out there. So the reason we have the denim copper, a couple of different things. So first, the copper underlay, like the satin chrome features the copper underlay, and basically the denim copper has that copper underlay on the outside. So it's not an underlay, it's just a copper overlay. 
So <clears throat> that speaks to the technology of one of the other levers we're pulling to make it feel even better. It doesn't hurt that it looks super cool as well. So that's a really nice finish on it. We're launching Mizuno Pro irons in the spring. Those all feature the copper underlay. It's a little bit of a storytelling thing. And you know, the other the other thing I love to talk about, you know, if you look at the three wedges that we offer, the raw, the denim copper, and the soft white satin, you're essentially looking at that wedge, like the soft white satin in every form it's been in. Like when you <laughs> first forge it and then mill it, you get that raw wedge. That is that way. You literally just stop the presses right there. And that that's that wedge. Then you can denim copper it. You know, put a layer of nickel and then a layer of copper on top. That nickel helps that copper adhere a little bit longer and keep that uh, keep that look for longer. That's what's underneath that. And then under and then on top of that, you do another layer of nickel and then you do that soft white satin finish. So it almost there, there's some storytelling built into the family, but also storytelling built into the entire Mizuno line within it. While I know that that blue is super cool and super sexy, the denim copper man, it's like when we first launched it uh, in the T22, it outsold what the blue ever sold. So it's pretty cool. Really, I think people get excited for something that looks different and sure. awesome. And and sure. I I agree, it, it definitely took presentation to a different level because it has so much depth in the finish. Right for sure. Well, and that's where not having a black, like I, I'm with you. Like I love I I play black irons right now. So like having a black wedge would be really cool. Where the denim copper is. Where I love it is it's dark like a black and it's kind of flashy, not quite as flashy as a blue. It's almost like if you took, you can't have the black and the blue, the denim's kind of the one that, that checks <laughs> the things that both are trying to do, you know? Yeah, that's cool. Um, one of the other things I noticed, is it is it running stock with S400 shafts? Correct. Yeah. So a dynamic gold tour issue S4 is the stock shaft in it. You know, that's just that that's the part on the on the rack you know we okay. also have some uh some ust some recoil esx f1 we have some ladies skews of that as well so you have that available also but the big thing with mizuno like yeah we have them on the rack don't buy them off the rack go get custom fit for it put whatever shaft you want in it like to me we we put that tour issue shaft in it because it again it just speaks to the quality of wedge that is you know the caliber and the you know the the level of expense that goes into it. it is a tour quality wedge but if you don't need that don't play that get fit put the same wet shaft uh same wedge you have in your irons put that in your wedges as well you'll perform better with it you'll have more consistency and for a lot of people like the the tricky thing with the S4 is it's not the spinniest shaft out there. You could put spinnier shafts out there and almost like trick the the wedge spins more, but we're not trying to do that. We're trying to say, just go get fit for it. Okay. Yeah. That was one thing I thought was curious because there does seem to be a significant trend in going lighter, not just in iron shafts, but also in wedge shafts. Mm -hmm. uh, the S4 in there, it, it was, uh, I'll admit a bit of a surprise to me, but it's also a wedge shaft or a shaft that I really like. So right. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's cool. It's good to see. Yeah. That. So we, if you look like our S23 wedge comes with a little bit lighter, it comes with 115 gram. Okay. You know, that one's got a little bit of like the more tech story going on in terms of the weighting and you know how you shaped that just to, to weight it a little bit different. So that one kind of speaks a little bit more towards the lighter weight shaft player where, I mean, I'll say that the T24, it's the Mizuno pro of wedges, you know, it's it's the one that the Mizuno Pro guy will pick up right off the rack. So okay, that 
that does a nice job of categorizing it. And it's more or less what I thought, but uh, nice to get that clarity. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about before I let you go is it sounds like these are not the only things we're going to see here. Is there some new, there's new options in the putters either coming out or are out? Yeah. <clears throat> the put, the putter world is a really interesting one because Mizuno entered it in 2020. We've had some steady, like increasing to our offerings from it. And we got a really nice putter lineup. Like if you actually, again, to be the industry guy talking market share and all that stuff, like if you look at our market share, our putter market share is higher than a lot of big name putter guys. Like it would actually surprise you. And with the Amoe line, we launched a couple of years ago, the Amoe 1, 2, and 3. Amoe, it, it literally is Japanese for heavy because it's a heavier weight execution, a larger club MOI execution on a very traditional looking golf club. So, you know, the original Amoe 1, 2, and 3 are like, you know, a plumber's neck design, a small mallet design, and a slightly like wider design as well. We've added the 4, 5, and 6, uh, which are new to the lineup. The 4 is, uh, it's a little bit of a wide body design as well. The 5 is a really small, like compact center shafted mallet, which I love. Like I've been playing the 5 for ever since we got our first prototype. It's fantastic. And the six is that slant-necked wingback design that is so popular out there now. The cool thing about it is, yes, it is a higher MOI execution on like a traditional shape, or I'd, I'd call it traditional if you can call a wing mallet traditional, but it's almost gotten there at this point. But we're the only ones that I know of in the industry that are fully forging and milling our putters as well. Like it is a forged piece of 1025 steel that's then milled to shape. So you still get the benefit. Again, I talked about forging, giving you long, continuous grains. We have that in these putters. The feel of these putters is phenomenal. The, the milling lines on the face give you a really nice tight roll to them. The fitting options in that each one comes with a weight kit at standard cost, you know, with so you can adjust the swing weight up or down. You can also adjust the toe hang if you like. You know, if you need a little bit more closure rate or a little bit less closure, you can put a lighter weight on the toe and a heavier weight on the heel. Like you can mess with that. <laughs> so all sorts of different options from the fitting world. The four, five, and six are really, really good. And again, there you get your black and your blue finish. So you've got a double <laughs> nickel finish and you've got a black ion and a blue ion. So all of those options available and all those different finishes, including left hand. We have the Amoe 2 and the Amoe 5 and left hand in all three finishes as well. I do remember two <laughs> things about the original release. Number one, that people got it on the... Uh the conforming list and couldn't stop talking about how it was a uh, huge MOI. And <laughs> so yeah, yeah. actually a movie means this uh, and then having you on the show and talking about it. But, uh, but also I remember that, that year at the PGA show, you guys were in the back corner yep. and it was the first time I'd been in the Mizuno booth where people were really just sort of gravitating to that back corner to look and talk and putt with the putters. It, it was a weird vibe because normally it's like, Oh, it's Mizuno. Let's go talk irons. Right. And it's been really fun to watch and, and, and shout out to you guys. It's, it's been fun to watch you not only grow, but validate a lot of your lineup. I mean, mm -hmm. the drivers are huge now. Um, the driving irons, which I mean, still yeah. fairway free in 2023, thanks to the Mizuno <laughs> pros, the fly highs. But, uh, you know, those, those things, they're, they're truly building out a brand, which I think w deserves that kind of conversation. So it's been a lot of fun to experience that. And, and knowing that I'm always growing is, is a really cool thing. 
Appreciate that. And and it's funny, if you even look at like how we've launched product over the last couple of years, this fall, there's not an iron launch. And the reason for that is because we want to give more weight and more light to some of our other categories. You know, whenever Mizuno launches a new wood plus new irons plus new wedges plus new putter or whatever, the first thing that people gravitate towards is talking about the iron. It's almost like everything else gets outshadowed by those. So if you've looked at us over the last couple of weeks and uh, I'd say last, I'd say two months and then going into October, you saw a putter release in August, a wedge release in September, and you'll see a wood release in October. No irons alongside those, just those three categories getting their own light. And if nothing else, it gives us the opportunity to like, I love this, that we got an opportunity to have to sit down and talk. And we talked about wedges. Like, yeah, we, we, we talked a little bit about irons, but for the most part, the focus is on the wedges and what we've done for that. So it'll yeah. allow some of our other categories that are very high performance and really, really good golf clubs, just a little bit of their own like time in the spotlight. Well, while I've got you, Vosh, I'm, I'm desperately in need of a driver uh, that'll launch straight and spin low, as well as a fairway to try and compete with this ridiculous fly high two that's in the bag. <laughs> Can I look forward to anything? If you're looking for low spin, the stuff that we have coming out in a, a couple weeks, it's as low spin as you're going to find. So yeah, the, the new driver, the new fairway, I've got them in my bag. Actually, I got right behind me. I was out at uh, out at Ballyhack a couple not too long ago, and we were doing some uh, some filming around them. They are really really strong performers in terms of that low spin category. Wow, you know Atlanta. <laughs> You're not too far away, buddy. I might come take those out of the bag. I, I could probably Drop work in, with that vintage. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So Valley Hack was super fun. You guys also have Victory Cup coming up here in October at Victoria National. Correct. Are you, are you super pumped? That's, I mean, what a, my time at Valley Hack, that was my first experience at a Dormy Club property and it was fantastic. Like loved everything about it. Victoria National is just going to be an absolute blast. So it's super cool. I know the whole squad in here. Walker sitting right over here. Walker and his team are ready to go. My team's ready to go. It's going to be a really, really cool event. Okay. So when that's done and you've experienced Victoria, I've been to Ballyhack. I've not been to Victoria, but I've got Dormy Club coming up here. Do you nice. want to come back on maybe in November and, and yeah. talk about the experiences there? And then by then, I'm hoping some more products out and we can actually discuss sure. it and... yeah we'll have, we'll have passed a couple of key dates by then and november's okay. the perfect timing let's do it. awesome that sounds great um dude it's always a trip to have you on i love the direction we got to talk with the vibration and the sound the qualities uh that that you really spend time putting into your products uh, but also it's it's great to see the t-series evolve in the in the wedges as well they're super fun to hit uh, at least from t22 and I assume it's going to be much the same in T24. Mm -hmm, absolutely. No, dude, thank you for your time. And and we're, I'm excited to help you upgrade those 221s and 225s because we got the perfect stuff for you coming up. Okay. We might need to talk about that. That sounds great. Let's make this happen. <laughs> hey, I, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, Vosh coming on here, chatting with us. He's always been uh, a great partner with THPers, uh, welcoming the questions and the heckling and whatever else be sure to follow along with the victory cup again it's i think it's in late october it's Correct. going to be an absolute bloodbath for one of the teams <laughs> I, I i'm probably putting i'm probably going team vosh in this one just presetting that i um, like it don't feel too bad about it 
he's my boy and I, I he's working on his game so you got to expect it's going to look good by then it's uh, in better shape than it was at the at the inaugural victory cup my game was in shambles <laughs> So well, I've finally shaken that. So there you go. So either way, go check out the new T24 wedges. They look fantastic. Some new uh, putters in the Omoe lineup also look very good. And huge teasers on this show. You heard it from the man himself. Uh, get ready for some new products from Mizuno. If you are playing golf this weekend, have an awesome time. Make it count. And we'll see you guys next week. THP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network. Your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode.